No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a cloud be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if any promontory were, as well as any manner of thy friends or thy own were. Any man's death diminishes me, for I am a part of mankind. And therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. These are words from English poet John Donne, Christian poet, um, sometimes known as the poet of God's love. A fascinating guy, um, really famous words of his, a couple of key lines that have made their way into our culture. Uh, The thing that I'm most fascinated about when it comes to John Donne, though, is I really want to know what he used to sharpen his beard. It's a pointy beard. Uh, No man is an island, it's true, and yet some of us will die trying to prove that wrong. You see, there are some of us who struggle with boundaries. We struggle to establish boundaries in our life. I'm one of those people sometimes. And then there are some of us who are really great with boundaries. We are masters of detachment. In fact, I have a friend, and he's happily married, has a couple of kids. And several years ago, he built for himself an apartment in his own basement. And he lives there. He sleeps there. It's, it's actually really nice. Um, and, uh, and some of you, you hear that and you just go, man, that's, I know where that's going. That's not healthy. That's a slippery slope towards divorce or, or something else. But it's been a few years that he and his wife have been doing this. And, and you know, they've got a loving, committed marriage. They're passionate. They're romantic. He's involved in his kids' lives. He's just a guy who needs his own space. And just to prove how different we all are, there are some of you right now who are outraged or you're still thinking, that's so wrong. That's not right. That's not how married people should be. And some of you are thinking, I wonder if I could get the guy's phone number and he could give me a consult. (laughs) How do you do do that? That's pretty impressive. Um, You see, John Donne is right. No one is an island. We're, We're not disconnected. There is a connection that binds us all together. That's true. And yet there are some of us who really need, or in order to feel a sense of, of, of just wellness in life and approaching the world, we need, if not to be a separate island, we need a nice, lovely moat surrounding us, complete with a drawbridge where we can withdraw, where we can pull away from the world around us and feel okay about life. And, and there are lots of reasons that we might be this way in life. It might be just how we're wired, how we're created to be. It may be our birth order. Um, It may be things that happen to us in life. Attachment theory is really fascinating if you read about that. Um, It could be everything from being neglected in some of our basic needs when we're young or being overrun and enmeshed in, in life. But the reality is that some of us just prefer life. We, we prefer to live with a strong buffer between ourselves and all of the demands of the world outside of us. And as we sit in our own islands or maybe in our own fortresses surrounded by our moats, just with enough buffer from the world around us as we're enjoying our separateness, that means we have a lot of time to read, to study, to analyze, to observe, and to acquire a lot of knowledge. See, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about living life on the path of knowledge. And this is a path that some of you might know well. For instance, on the path of knowledge, just to describe it for you, uh, you are cerebral, perceptive, analytical, unbiased, 
and emotional. I know that's a lot of words for some of us, but if you're on the path of knowledge, you can track, right? You, you know all these words. In fact, this means that you might be a, a Mr. Spock minus the pointy ears. Uh, you know, you don't get caught up in emotion, which means you can be very unbiased. You're always looking for the deeper narrative that's going on. You're, maybe you're a little skeptical of life. You want to you wanna understand what's really happening. You're perceptive. Nothing escapes your notice. You are analytical. And because you're unemotional, because you don't let feelings cloud your judgment, this means that you really can be a perceptive alan, uh, uh, analysis. What, what am I trying to say? Analyst. A perceptive analyst. Um, you're, you're keenly perceptive. You can provide a lot of insight into the world around you. Or on this path, you value alone time, rest, and withdrawing. So, so having a space in your basement, having a room in your house, have, having that place where you can pull away, being able to pull away is really important for you, whatever that looks like. Or on the path of knowledge, you minimize needs and conserve resources. So uh, people on this path are the real conservatives of the world, not necessarily politically, but in terms of, of, of conserving energy, conserving resources. They are the minimalists in life. You know, I, I don't need a lot of stuff. I don't, I don't want a lot of stuff. But what I have, I'm going to very carefully manage. So um, people who walk this path, they tend to wake up in the morning and they're very well aware of how much gas they have in their tank. And as the day goes on, uh, if this is you, you're very good at monitoring how that's being depleted, and you're very aware of making sure that you're not going to run out before the day is over. You know how much you need, how much you still have, and you're constantly evaluating that. Now, this includes things like emotional energy or, um, or just you know, social interaction, but it also applies to our, our physical or material resources. It applies to everything in life. You are a master of managing your resources to make sure that you don't ever run out. On this path, you find support through knowledge, not so much relationships. See, all of us realize pretty early on that life is overwhelming, right? And there's too much for us to try to, to try to protect ourselves from. There's just too much around us in life. And so we try to find support for life. And some of us, our natural place to go to are relationships. We look to other people for the support that we need. And then some of us learn that, you know, relationships are kind of messy, and you can easily get enmeshed or overrun or people can put a lot of demands on you. And so there are some of us who look not so much to relationships, but we look to acquire knowledge or information. That helps give us the support we need to find our way through life. And by the way, information or knowledge is way less demanding and it won't tax you in the same way that relationships often will. I'm on the path of knowledge. You live in your head. If anyone's ever told you that, then, then maybe this path applies to you. And what's ironic is that often people in this, uh, in this, on this path, um, they might have a really sensitive emotional core, but you would never know that because they have such thick buffers between their emotional core and their outward self, and they tend to filter all of their emotion first through thinking. It may also be that these people are sometimes accused of being secretive, even if they're not actually trying to be secretive, um, it's not necessarily intentional that they're trying to keep things from other people. But just when you live in your head, other people don't know what's going on. And so uh, may, you might be sensitive, but people don't know that. You've got other stuff going on and, and people don't know that. On the path of knowledge, you can be emotionally detached then and feelingless, or people may accuse you of that in your life, that really you have no feelings. And, and again, you have feelings, but you just, you live in your head. You process all of those emotions first, through, uh, through thinking. 
And so people may see you as emotionally detached, which can be a good thing. I mean, these are the people who bring reason into very passionate situations when everyone is out of their minds. But sometimes in relationships, it can, it can be a challenge for you. Or uh, finally, on the path of knowledge, you have a small circle of high-quality, loyal, and trustworthy friends. So it's not that you live life apart from relationships, but if you walk this path, you're all about quality, not quantity. And the relationships that you seek are going to be people who you know you can trust, they're loyal, um, they're just high-quality relationships in your life. Now, I, I wonder as I go through this list, I wonder if this is sounding like anyone you know. Maybe it's someone in your life. Maybe it's you yourself. Uh, But I do want to take this just one layer deeper. Because these people often live inside their heads, we don't always know what they're thinking. And so I want to expose to you to some of the the, uh, just kind of inner driving thoughts of people who might spend a lot of time on this path. And maybe this will help give insight into someone in your life, or maybe this even helps clarify some of the thoughts inside of you that drive you. Driving thoughts. Um, This is one. The world doesn't always provide what you need. So be self-sufficient. Or people can be intrusive and threatening. Again, so, so have boundaries or buffers. Or I must protect my time and energy from having, uh, sorry, I must protect my time and energy by having firm boundaries and maintaining my private space. Or separation from others while uncomfortable is better than the alternative. It's better than being overrun. Or if I can collect and organize data about my world, then I can provide what I need, right? Because the world won't always do that for me. Or what about this one? Knowledge is power. And you see, it's it's true that the pursuit of knowledge is a good thing. Knowledge really is power. In fact, there's, there's no other reason that a church like ours would have a school, like we're talking about this weekend, for 160 years. Um, the pursuit of knowledge is a godly thing, isn't it? And even as Americans, I mean, we value, for those of us who are Americans, we really value education. We spend more money on education than almost any other nation in the world because we value this pursuit of knowledge. Personally, we all know how knowledge does give us a sense of comfort in navigating life. It helps us find our way. It helps us have greater security when we're facing the unknown. How many of you have found yourself laying awake at night on WebMD symptom checker trying to figure out what your itchy right toe has to do with your twitching left eye? Right? And you're freaked out and you're neurotic about it and you just read a little and either it makes you feel better or worse, depending. And, but sometimes knowledge, it can really help us find a sense of security or comfort. Or I don't know about you, but before I make a purchase, I like to get online, I like to read consumer reports, I like to read peer reviews, I like to study about how I best spend my money before I spend it, because I only have a limited amount of money and I want to make wise purchases, and so doing the research helps me feel comfortable. And then eventually my wife comes into the room and goes, are you still researching? Just buy the hoverboard, it's our son's birthday. And I, Hypothetically speaking, of course, right? Um, and yet, you know, knowledge, it... It can help you feel better about expending your resources. It can help you make a wiser decision. And so all of that's good. All of that's godly. Not only that, but there's even a whole genre in scripture of of literature. There are books in the Bible that belong to this tradition called wisdom literature or didactic literature. And they are all about knowledge or wisdom, imparting knowledge or wisdom. Books like Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs. In fact, look what Proverbs says. It says, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise 
seek it out. So acquiring knowledge is a good thing. Or earlier on in Proverbs, it says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So if you're someone who despise wisdom or knowledge, Proverbs would call you a fool. See, all of this is good, this pursuit of knowledge. It's a godly thing. Uh, But what happens in life is that some of us take a, a stroll down the path of knowledge time and again when we need it. And some of us find ourselves really, really stuck there. And what often drives us onto the path of knowledge and leaves us stuck there is, uh, is maybe this word above all else, scarcity. It is a fear of being deprived, a fear of running out, of not having the resources you need to face the demands of the world. Scarcity. And it's a big driving fear for people who find themselves on the path of knowledge. Uh, But fear, interestingly enough, and scarcity is one kind of fear, fear will have a defining role in the next three paths this week and the next two weeks that we're going to talk about in this series. And in fact, since we're talking about the path of knowledge today, I just want to impart a little bit more information on you especially for those of you who are on this path, about what we've been talking about throughout this series, what this whole nine paths thing is all about. You see, these nine paths are actually based on really, really ancient wisdom, a wisdom called the Enneagram. Ennea means nine, gram, uh, diagram kind of picture. Um, and, And this is ancient, ancient wisdom. And these numbers look a little different than how we've been talking about in the series, because we started here. Um, So we've been moving through, but these are the actual numbers of the Enneagram. These are the titles that we've given to the Enneagram. And this has been the inspiration for our series. See, what happens to us in life, and again, the ancients have observed this and written about this for thousands of years, is that we all tend to gravitate toward a certain path, a certain way of living, of approaching life and relationships, spirituality, a certain way of finding or discovering a sense of self. And we tend not only to gravitate to those things, but we tend to kind of get cubbyholed there. We, we find ourselves becoming kind of flat, two-dimensional characters. What's interesting about this, again, is this is ancient wisdom. It goes way, way back to ancient monastic traditions. Um, Homer, you've heard of Homer? Not the guy who likes jelly donuts, not Homer Simpson, but the other Homer. Homer who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. Remember, remember him? How many of you read the Odyssey? At some point in the school, you were forced by a teacher to read it. Um, if you remember that story, the, uh, the lyric poem, The Odyssey, Odysseus, the main character, he's on a journey home uh, after the war, and he travels through nine lands. And if you look carefully at those lands, each of those lands is a metaphor for the nine numbers of the Enneagram in reverse, going in order. It's wild. It's this ancient wisdom about all the places we can get stuck in finding our way home. And you see, that's just it. For for us, we may gravitate to one of these paths, whether it's strength or harmony, integrity, service, accomplishment, originality, knowledge, loyalty, adventure. And and, and they may be a part of how we're wired or, or just how we're shaped or some of the wounds that we carry. However we find ourselves there, what happens is that we can get stuck there. But the goal for us is not to be stuck in any one of these things. The goal of our lives is not to be confined to one path like this, or to become flat or two-dimensional or allow ourselves to be cubbyholed. The goal for us, especially those of us who identify as Christians, is that we would be conformed to the likeness of God's Son. 
That's what Paul says in Romans 8, that we would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And if you know anything about Jesus, it's, it's hard to cubbyhole him in any one of these paths. He really does embody all of these things. He's, he's a whole person. And if our goal is to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus, then our goal is to become whole people too. And so it's eventually to transcend the path that, that we get stuck on, the path that we know, the path that we run to because it's comfortable or safe, or that's how we figured out how to navigate the world. And it really is to embrace all of these things, to, to embody a wholeness that we discover through the person of Jesus. And so the Enneagram has been inspiration for us on this, uh, on this series. I'm not an Enneagram expert, neither is Pastor Doug. But if you're someone who wants to know more about this, I'd mention this because there's tons of resources for you. You can take an inventory or an online test that'll help you figure out maybe which path is yours. Um, there are some great books to read. One of them is uh, this one. It's called The Road Back to You right? It's not any one of these things. It's really a a bigger picture. Uh, And it's written by Ian Morgan Cron and Suzanne Stabile, both Christian writers. Um, Really great introduction if you want to know more about this. Or um, another author that I really like is Beatrice Chestnut. Doesn't she just sound smart? Beatrice Chestnut. Um, And this book, The Complete Enneagram, is a little more like an encyclopedia, but I found it really helpful on my journey. Again, there's tons of resources for you in this book. But one other thing I want to point out, um, because this is important, although there are nine paths, you can see here that they're subdivided into three categories. And each of these three categories, uh, three numbers, are kind of grouped together, and they have some commonalities, even though in a lot of ways they're different. So we started off talking about strength. Uh, and then harmony and integrity. And all three of those paths tend to deal with anger. They deal with other things too, but they also deal with anger. And they deal with anger in different ways. So um, they may externalize their anger. You can see it. They project it against the world. They may internalize their anger, put it on themselves. Or may they, they may try to just ignore or avoid or stuff their anger. Or the last three weeks, we've talked about service and accomplishment and originality. All three of these paths tend to deal with shame It was fascinating to watch the level of emails that we got in the series increase during these uh, three weeks, just kind of being like, I don't know if I like this series. What do you mean? Like, you know, hitting people's shame triggers. And I understand this. I'm one of these people who know this uh, kind of this shame triad here. And so I understand it gets a little personal. It starts to get a little painful for us. But in these last three weeks, we're going to talk about fear. And specifically, like I said, the fear that we often face that drives us onto the path of knowledge is this fear of being deprived, of not having the resources that we need for our journey, of being overrun by the demands of life. And, and so we, we grab onto resources, we, we stockpile, we carefully measure those things out in a very conservative way, and we also look to acquire lots and lots of knowledge that we believe will, will enable us to, uh, to navigate a very demanding world. And here's what I think is so important about the Enneagram and just understanding your path, that um, once you understand kind of where you're coming from, once you understand where you might be stuck, God has a very specific healing word for each of us. And here's the thing about God's word. God's word is always true and it's always powerful. I believe it's always helpful. But there are certain words from God that have the power just to come into your life and transform you, to, to set you free, to bring healing like nothing else. 
And so if you're someone who has found yourself on the path of knowledge and, and maybe you recognize that there's this scarcity thing inside of you or there's this fear that your needs are not going to be met and, and so you deal with this fear and this scarcity, today I want to share with you a word that I really believe has the power to set you free. And it's a well-known word. It's a word that a lot of us know if we've spent any amount of time in the church. And so it's got value for all of us. But, but if you've walked this path, I believe it can set you free. It comes from Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, you can follow along if you're here in the room, page 630. And we're going to explore actually a lot more of this chapter than just that. The writer says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. So we have a, a father writing to a son or a teacher writing to a student. And he's saying, hey, hey. And I mean, I mean this, is, this is so up the path of knowledge for some of us. D- don't forget my teaching because I have a teaching for you. And if you, if, you, if you write that on your heart, if you keep them in your heart, then you will prolong your life and you will find peace and prosperity. Isn't this what so many of us want in life? And so he goes on and he says, all right, here's what this teaching is. Next verse. He says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Maybe familiar words for you, but I got to pause here because this is now the third time that this teacher, this wisdom writer, has used the word heart in a message speaking to people who are all about facts and not feelings. That seems a little wrong, doesn't it? All this feeling stuff about, about heart. And yet, um, I think a lot of us, maybe we've known this verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and we'll see the rest of it in a minute, have misunderstood what is actually being talked about there. See, in Hebrew, your heart is not the seat of your emotions or your feelings. It's not a feeling organ. Your heart is not. Instead, in Hebrew, do you, do you know what organ is associated with your feelings or your emotions? Anyone know? Your guts or your bowels. Lo, how my bowels churn within me whenever you draw nigh. <laughs> Save that for next Valentine's Day. Right? <laughs> but it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, how when you're in love, your stomach turns over, or when, when you're feeling strong feelings, how it really, I mean, it hurts your stomach. And, and so for Hebrew, it's, it's not the heart. That's not the place where your feelings live. It's not a feeling word, actually. If you want to use a feeling word in Hebrew, you'll talk about your guts or your bowels. Uh, but for Hebrew, heart instead, it's not a feeling word. He, he, uh, heart in Hebrew means mind or conscious, consciousness or intellect or understanding. That's really what heart means. And, and so for those of us who kind of, you know, hear this, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and we think we're talking about feeling words, it's not what it's talking about. Instead, it's, it's saying something else, saying trust in the Lord with all your, all your mind, your, your intellect, your understanding, your consciousness. Trust in the Lord with all of that and lean not on your own understanding and all of your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths Straight. I love this verse because we're a couple of weeks from becoming Pathfinder Church, and this is such a rich metaphor all throughout Scripture that God is the one who's leading us down a path, lighting our path, straightening out our path. I just love that. But, but notice what the teacher's saying here. The teacher's saying, for some of us, there is a tendency 
to lean on our own understanding. And we just believe that if we can understand the world, if we can understand life, if we can gather and collect the data, if we can process it and sort it out, then we're going to be able to find our way. We're going to be able to navigate life. We're going to find peace and prosperity. We're going to have a good life. It's all about the knowing. And it's kind of about the knowing, but the writer here says, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a danger here in leaning on your own understanding. This is not the way. Instead, he says, I want you to trust in the Lord with all of your understanding. Don't lean on, on, on the understanding that comes from within you. And, and if you submit to him, he will make your paths straight. There's another way to find the peace and the prosperity and the protection and the provision that you're looking for. He goes on and he says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Again, I repeat, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. See, in Christianity, there's this great tension that we have to face and that we have to manage all the time. On one hand, there is a place for knowledge and seeking knowledge and understanding. And in another place, we can't leave it all up to our own understanding or knowledge. If we do, we're doomed. But I need to set the record straight about something here for us today. And that's this, that that when we read Proverbs and we read these words, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, that is not a call to blind faith. And for some of you, you just need to hear that because this is good news for you, that the Christian faith is not a call to blind faith. And yet somehow, sometimes that's how it comes across, isn't it? We even say things like this, just believe, just believe. As if in order to follow Jesus, in order to be a Christian, uh, you have to chuck all of your intellect out of the door. It's kind of our way of saying, none of this makes sense. It's not rational. It'll never make sense to you. You can't figure it out. It's not logical, but don't worry about it. Just believe. And there are some of us who have no problem with that because we don't depend that much on figuring things out or understanding or rationality or logic. For some of us, that's easy. We can just believe. For some of us, we cannot do that. And so here, here's what we need to know about Christianity, that Christianity is not a just believe religion. It is not a blind faith religion. See, in fact, a lot of the details about Christianity, a lot of our story, our biblical story, those are things that can be historically verified or identified. The people, the places, the events, the dates, they're not just in a kingdom far, far away in a land, you know, far off place. But the people who are named, the places, the battles, the dates, there are all kinds of extra biblical sources that testify to the fact that these things actually happen. There's archaeological evidence that supports the narrative of the Bible. And so uh, when we're called to believe in the Bible or, or believe in this narrative of God that's told to us through the Bible, it's not just a just believe thing. There are all kinds of historically verifiable details that you can dig into if you want to. Not only that, but, but the central claim of Christianity, it's not a just believe claim. It's actually a factual claim, a claim that's hard to reject, a claim that comes with evidence and support. See, the central claim of Christianity, the claim that everything else rises or falls on is not the virgin birth. It's not the parting of the Red Sea. It's not the feeding of the 5,000. It's not a seven-day creation, even though I believe all of that. See, the central claim of Christianity, the thing on which everything else rises or falls is this, 
that Jesus of Nazareth was put to death by the Roman government. He was executed. But on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And and that's not a claim that is about just believing. It's not about blind faith. In fact, do you know that the death of Jesus is written about in extra-biblical history? The Bible's not the only place that talks about it. You can read other history where it is mentioned that Jesus of Nazareth was put to death for treason by the Roman government. You can read about that outside of biblical history. It is a verified detail. Not only that, this, this other part of it, that God raised him from the dead, that's not a thing that I'm calling you just to believe. Do you know that there were literally hundreds of witnesses, and I'm not talking about just close family or friends, but hundreds of witnesses who, who said they saw Jesus in the flesh after his death. And they saw him not as a ghost, but they saw him physically present, alive, living, breathing. They saw his scars. They were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. There were hundreds of people. Again, these were not people who just believed because they saw an empty tomb. They said, oh, I know what must happen. He must be alive again. And they never saw him. These were people who were eyewitnesses to Jesus, who was once put to death, who was now standing in front of them alive. Not only that, do you realize that many of those witnesses, eyewitnesses, people who are unschooled, ordinary people, people who are not brave or courageous, that they ended up going around the world telling people about this Jesus who was put to death, but God made him alive again, and they began to teach from the scriptures about how he was the Messiah and the Son of God. And and these people, these people, again, who were not educated or brave, their lives were transformed, not because they were just believing or they had blind faith, but because they knew what they saw. They experienced something, they witnessed something that was so true to them, that it was, it was so real, they touched him, they saw him, and it changed everything for them. You, you see, it's not a, a call to blind faith. Christianity is not a call to blind faith. It is a reasoned faith. There is room to bring your brain here. There is room for intellect and rationality and reason. There is evidence to investigate, and yet, and yet, and here's where this gets so difficult to hold in tension especially for those of us who walk the path of knowledge. There is also, there is also mystery and wonder. There are feelings and experiences because God wants to speak not just to our minds or our intellect, but he really does want to speak to our whole beings. See, at its core, Christianity isn't about history. It's not about facts. It's not even about memorizing doctrines or Bible verses. At at its core, the call on us still today is the same as it was thousands of years ago. It is to encounter the risen Jesus personally so that he can put us to death and make us alive again. And you see this, this knowledge that we're seeking after so often, this knowledge that we think is going to give us protection and safety and all the rest of it, we're right about it in a sense. Knowledge is power. Knowledge can be transforming, but we misunderstand what knowledge is. The kind of knowledge that we're being called into is not just an intellectual knowledge, but it really is this whole experience of the person of Jesus. In Hebrew, there's this word. The word is yada. Yada. Say that with me. Yada. Yada. 
Yeah, you learned Hebrew today. Congratulations. Um, the word Hebrew, the Hebrew word yada means to know or I know. But, but in Hebrew, to know is never just about intellectual head knowledge. It's not just about rationality removed from the rest of you. It is a personal knowledge, an experiential knowledge. The word yada is, off, is also the word that is used to describe how a, a husband and wife might know each other in a very personal, physical way. It is, it is an intimate knowing. It is a knowing at the depths of your being. It's not just a rational knowing. And you see, that's the knowledge we are called into. Do you know in John's gospel, John, John puts this beautifully. He says, in the beginning there was the word, and, and the, word, the, the word for uh, word in Greek is logos. And logos means word, but it means wisdom or knowledge. And so he says, there was this wisdom of God, there, there was this, this wisdom or knowledge in the cosmos. And then John says, but here's what happened in the fullness of time. The, the, the logos of God, the wisdom, the knowledge of God, it became flesh. And not it, but he made his dwelling among us. See, John says that even the knowledge of God, it's not something that we just, we just know. It's something that we're called to know. It's, it's a knowledge that becomes flesh so that we can experience it personally. See, see, Christianity is not a proposition. It's about a person. And when you know, when, when you meet when you experience the person of Jesus, the resurrected person of Jesus, not only will he put you to death and make you alive again and begin to recreate you into a whole person, but then you will find the freedom you're looking for. See, see if you've been walking the path of knowledge, you're right in a sense. You just, you just got to take it deeper. You have to understand that it's bigger than just here. It's a full being knowing. And when you get there, when you know Jesus in that way, here's what you'll discover, that God is the expert, so you don't need to be. Again, this call to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, it's not just believe, just trust God. It really is saying, hey, there is someone who understands it all because he's the architect. He's created you, he's created the world, he's created life. He understands it intimately. Not only did he create it, but he has experienced it through the person of his son. He has done the experiments, he's collected the data, he's analyzed it all. And so when he points us toward the way of life, He's doing so as someone who has lived it, who has experienced it, who has seen it. It is expert advice. So again, to trust in the Lord isn't just to to let go of everything and blindly trust. It's to put your trust in one who is an expert, which means you no longer have to be. Or when you know Jesus in this way, you'll discover that God is your provider with endless resources. It's not all on you to provide for yourself. In the very next verses, Proverbs 3 It goes from talking about trusting in the Lord and all that stuff. And and then it says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. It jumps from like knowing to generosity. Why? Because God understands that when we get trapped on this path of knowledge, we'll live in scarcity and we'll conserve and we'll hold on because we, we think it's on us to generate the resources we need to meet the demands of life. And, and yet when you know Jesus, When you know him, you'll discover that you don't have to provide for yourself. Instead, you can be generous because it's not on you to provide for yourself. He'll keep your barns overflowing. He'll keep your vats brimming over. He'll provide everything that you need. When you know Jesus, you'll finally discover that God 
is your protector who will keep you from being overrun. Uh, Later on, same chapter, Proverbs 3, here's what it says. It says, then you will go on your way in safety. See, see, instead of trusting in your own understanding, when you trust in the Lord, when, when you know him in a deep and personal way, then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. See, there's something powerful about knowledge. Knowledge is truly powerful. But the way that Jesus invites us to know him, yeah, it involves our minds, but it involves so much more. And when you know God personally through Jesus, when you experience the resurrected Jesus in your life, that's what will set you free. That's what will give you the sense of provision and expertise. That's what will provide you protection that you need. And then, you know, if you love knowledge, you can go about your way and and you can keep learning and, and you can become an expert and you can become truly wise and you can help people with your wisdom, but you're doing so as one who is not wise in your own understanding, but you're doing so as one who has tapped into true wisdom. And then even if you're someone who likes to have your space and and you like to withdraw and pull away, you'll also know what it means to connect with people without a fear of being overrun because you have someone who will provide for you everything that you need when you feel like you're being stretched. And, And you don't have to live only in your head for fear of your emotions, but you can live fully in your head and fully in your heart and in your body and and you can begin to experience life as a whole person just in the same way that Jesus was a whole person because he's making you new. See, today I want to call you onto a deeper, into a deeper kind of knowledge. Kind of knowledge that is truly transformative. And if you're someone who, uh, for you, you've either walked a lot on this path in life, or if your faith has been this, if, if it's been all about knowing the right stuff, and knowing the doctrines, and knowing the Bible verses, and looking into apologetics, and it's, it's been this intellectual exercise for you, Today, I just want to pray over you. I want to pray over me that in this moment, God would take us into a deeper knowledge of himself. Let's do that right now. Father in heaven, I thank you that you want to be known. I thank you that you hold the mysteries of life in your hands and you want to reveal those to us. But God, I thank you that you don't just leave us us living in our heads but you call us to a deeper knowledge. You call us to mystery and wonder. You call us to feeling and experience. You call us to witness, to see, to truly experience your risen son in our lives, to experience a relationship with him. And God, um, if some of us have misunderstood what this journey is about and we've just kept it in our heads, some of us have lived life thinking that it's on us to do the research and be the expert and to provide for ourselves. If some of us have lived in fear of being overrun, of having too much demanded from us. God, I pray today that you'd begin to open up our eyes, our hearts, our beings to a deeper knowledge of who you are, of what you have for us, and what you want for us so that we might be free, 
so that we might be whole. I pray this in Jesus. Amen.